Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. The market reacted positively to the news out of the G20 this weekend that there is a 90-day truce uh, that starts Jan 1 uh, between Xi and Trump, between the U.S. and China with respect to the uh, tariff escalations. Uh, No more tariff escalation for the first three months of next year, at least. Kudlow said the weekend's agreement was uh, an enormous event. Uh, He also said the Chinese have agreed to begin dropping non-tariff barriers immediately, although it was unclear just exactly what those non-tariff barriers that would be uh, discarded are. He also said uh, they're pretty close to agreements to combat intellectual property theft and forced transfer of technology. Hmm. Uh. (laughs) I'm a bit skeptical. Who's going to be policing that? Well, exactly. For more on... uh, this topic and an answer to that question. We're pleased to be joined by Jim Urio, CNBC contributor and local restaurateur. Jim, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So um, uh, your reaction to this temporary trade truce? Well, I don't know that my reaction is relevant. Let's talk about the market's reaction because I found it very, very interesting is that the stock market and the bond market beginning Sunday night had a little bit of a disagreement, and when because the, the bond market acted like it was no big deal, and the stock market was up 50 handles on Sunday night. The stock market tends to be more emotional. I tend to go with the bond market um, more. And when you combine those two together, what, what, what it is, it is mildly positive. When Larry Kudlow spoke in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, he said the first and most important thing is to get China to say yes to anything. And I guess that checks the box that they're at least agreeing to sit down at the table. But if this news was a big deal, like, I, I don't know, you guys, some, a lot of times people outside the market look at this technical analysis stuff as some sort of voodoo, and it's not. Um, and I'll just, I'm not going to harp on technical analysis, but we put highs in the stock market in the beginning of November and the middle of October, and we couldn't eclipse those highs based on the news, even though we, we came off 7% off the lows in a week and a half, which is an enormous deal. But if this news was really huge, we'd be above those highs, and we'd have, uh, you know, blue skies ahead of us. Well, Trump said that China is going to cut tariffs on American cars. Can you explain? I cannot explain. I don't think anyone can explain. I think that that uh, the words that are said to me are not as big a deal as the market's reaction to them. And I think that even if everything went away right now, we went back to the world we lived in a year ago, let's say, where China did still take advantage of us. I think that the Everything that's happening, yes, China would know that they had leverage, which they knew they had it anyway. But the takeaway from that is that we are not going to sit by idly, and we're willing to keep an eye on them. And, yes, it would be a loss, but it wouldn't be just an absolute wipeout. Tyler Cohen, uh, writing in Bloomberg on Monday, or I think it was over the weekend, actually. But uh, he, uh, not a huge Trump fan, but he gave some uh, Trump uh, some begrudging credit for this temporary trade truce. He said... Instead of sweeping everything under the rug, as was the case before Donald Trump, as was the case before Trump took office, America and China have found a new way of addressing conflict by talking openly. Anything that's positive, in addition to some of the other ancillary positives like China agreeing to uh, um, put a kibosh on the export of fentanyl into the country, you know, to to try to do their part to tamp down the opioid crisis and things like that on the margins. But what about this larger point he makes? that uh, 
this is no longer just kind of sweep it under the rug, go along as it's always been, like you were suggesting, and now this is all brought out into full public view. I couldn't agree more. And I, again, we look at this, and I think you and I have talked about this before. There are so many things that Donald Trump has done from the macroeconomic picture that I've really, really loved. This is the one wild card, because this whole time we thought – China doesn't have to run for re-elections. They don't care as much if their people are suffering a little bit because of the trade war. And that made it somewhat of a scary proposition to me to enter into this with them. But the fact now that they're willing to talk, and it'll never go away. You, know, you can't unring this bell. That means that we pulled back the, the curtain and said, you know what, you guys steal our technology. That's, and I, I've always thought that that's the biggest part of this, yeah. is that we have to – to put a stop to that. I mean, I have friends in the technology business when they would go to China, they were instructed by their companies they could not even leave any piece of technology in the hotel room, even if they went out to a restaurant at night. Because, you know, it was going to get stolen, it was going to get copied, and all of a sudden, you know, whatever company you work for, you would not have cutting edge any longer. But here's the problem, and this is more of a, a political question than perhaps an economic one, but you're a man of letters. I think you're equal to the task. I hope so. Uh, so... You got uh, China has this this problem inside the country because, you know, they're communists. We sometimes forget about that. Uh, so they control the majority of the means of production, which means they are not realizing the economic strength of their numbers. And they got a million people uh, a day migrating to the cities. And if they don't create, quote unquote, uh, 25 million jobs a year, they have the prospect of revolution. Uh, and so. The question is, yes, they're a communist in a command control society, but they do have to you know, keep the populace somewhat uh, sedate. You know, it's sort of like Illinois. And so uh, the question becomes, how do they walk away from their business model, which is this intellectual piracy, um, before they before they address uh, uh, the suffering that they're willing to inflict on their populace to maintain this business model, because they don't have another way to satiate the public to the level they need to, do they? No, but you, and you hit on the, the key thing, is that here, and even in Europe to a certain degree, to a smaller degree, we have to worry about job security and re-election. They do not. The only thing they really have to care about is being beheaded in the square and some sort of revolution happens. Now, I think that's a real worry, and they have to, but their range of allowing people to suffer is far greater than ours. But now, what's interesting is you look at what's happening in France, and I don't know what to believe in the media, mm -hmm. because whether or not the whole city's erupting or is it just one little square block. But let's assume that it's a significant, um, a significant uh, protest, let's call it. Uh, you know, we were told by the left that people should want to pay higher taxes and be controlled more by the government. As it turns out, Maybe that's not the case. They're looking at France, which is shocking to me and you, I'm sure. Yeah, right. Um, they, uh, they, oh, they seven bucks a gallon in uh, France is as much as they're willing to pay. They don't want that thirty cents not increase anymore. And it, yeah, well, right. it's affecting tourism because a lot of people have canceled their trips there and they're not shopping, and it's Christmas time, so they need that revenue. Um, Amen. And you, so you guys believe that the city of Paris is erupting, or you think that's been that's somewhat of a media um, no. a media creation, or do you think it's real? No, I think I it's, think it's I think real. It's real. <laughs> okay, good. Then so do I. Then. Uh, um, okay. Okay. Well, good. Um, also, at the, <laughs> I'm convinced. Yeah, at the G20 summit, President Trump signed the new NAFTA, and what's it called, Dan? Umfstas. Umka. 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 Um, what did we get out of the deal, and how different is it than NAFTA? 
Uh, you know what? I, I have not dug and deconstructed that as much as I should have. Because what I do remember is is I look at when these deals get signed, I look at the reactions in the dollar, the currency of the countries that are um, that are affected by it, and see what the market's interpretation of it is. It, not only because that's the way I make money off it, because that's much more the real interpretation. Like if you look at all these different stories, on Sunday night, if you listen to CNN or you listen to Breitbart, you get two completely conflicting stories about what happened in the China agreements. And so you have to wait to see how about 10 different markets digest it before you think it's a big deal. And that one in particular doesn't seem like a big deal because we haven't seen much of a reaction. What's a bigger deal is you know, the, the pound and the um, euro are up today because we are believing that that there's a chance that this pregnant thing, pregnant thing will never happen, which, by the way, I know uh, I placed $100 on the square that said there will never be a Brexit the day after the election because I think the one thing that Europe is good at is kicking the can down the road. Mm. Well, I just, I just want to nail you down on China. So with respect to changing their business model, the pronouncements that uh, have come and may come about a deal on intellectual piracy and, and uh, uh, you know just the general technological theft that's uh, forced transfer of technology and, and general theft that's part of the Chinese business model. I mean, is there any way that that goes away? No, I don't think it goes away, but I don't think we're even, I don't even think that's the goal. I think that is to begin to control it and begin to keep an eye on it and hope that it doesn't, you know, just run wildly like it has in the past. I think these goals, like when Donald Trump began down this path, I think he just wants China to come our way on something. And I, and I base that on the speech from Larry as well. Just, just say to us that you're willing to work with us on things, and, and then we'll, we'll be happy. I don't think that you're going to change them into the perfect trading partner anytime in the next, I don't know, 50 years. Uh, like you said, it's their business model, but I don't think that matters. I think the market would be perfectly happy if we got one or two concessions from them and then everything reverted back to the way it was. And, yes, they're going to tariff things. A lot of countries tariff our goods, but not as much as they had in the past, and now they know we're keeping an eye on them. Yeah, and by the way, you know, I think those uh, yellow jackets could come to the U.K. if there's no exit from, uh, from the EU. I think so, too. I think there's probably a certain part of the population that's like, well, gosh, what did we vote for? This seems more complicated um, than we had originally thought. But I do think that there's going to be a lot of angry people, and they're angry at the EU, and you hear these stories about you know, you're no longer allowed to criticize migration. It's becoming against the law. And you, that's, that's absolutely terrifying, and it should be to anybody who lives there or looks at it. All right, I, since you're a restaurateur, Brant's there in Palatine, which uh, reportedly has the best burger in Chicago. We need to go there. Uh, True story. Yeah. True story. You need to go, and we'll do a show from there. It'll be fun. We'll have burgers, and you can you can witness it firsthand. Yeah. But by the way, our the, the, the oil price is going lower. I think is a, is a nice thing for the restaurant business as a side as an aside. We haven't mentioned oil at all, and I think it's a big deal that oil has gone, you know, down twenty five dollars a barrel in the last you know, month. Well, yeah. how does that help you? Because I think it puts more money in people's pockets. Oh, I think yeah. it puts you in a good mood, when, especially when you're out in the northwest suburbs and areas where it's a mixed financial picture. I think there's plenty of people who treat themselves when they feel like they're doing a little better. Yeah, and you even tip the maitre d' at Brant's, Jim Urio. Yes, well, uh, you should. Uh, yeah, the more the better. <laughs> uh, so this piece in The Atlantic, How Restaurants Got So Loud, sort of fascinating, talking about the uh, architecture of restaurants. I live a lonely life. Uh, and uh, one of the things that um, 
as mentioned here is that uh, architects are designing restaurants to be louder because they're more profitable. It gives the uh, place a sense of energy and vibrancy. And so I wonder if um, that's the... Uh, the, I uh, love that. I wonder if that, yeah, that yeah, so I, is, is that how it's like at Brant's, or what, yeah, will it I, be? When I walk at Brant's, and Brant's is, a, Brant's is a, about a 130-year-old building. People were a lot smaller back then, so it's a small and it's tight quarters. But when it's when there's an energy and people's voices are all kind of blending together and there's a sound of music, it's a much better environment. And I, I'll come in there. I come in there every day about 5.30, right when the dinner hour begins. And if the people before me have forgot to turn the music to the right level, um, those kind of things irritate me because I, I think it's hugely important to have your restaurant feel like it's buzzing. Yeah. And we, fortunately, ours, yeah. we get a good crowd, so it usually is buzzing. Oh, sure. Of uh, those, all those rock and rollers in here. Palatine yeah, in Northwest no. Cook County. Yeah. Sure. Both of you, I can tell your voice. No, I mean, we must prove this. We must rectify this situation. Come on out. All right. You're in downtown Palatine? No, it's not. It's over by Northwest Highway and Quinton Road. Uh, Yeah, sure. All right. All right. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work on that because I like burgers (laughs) for breakfast. Jim Urio, CNBC contributor, proprietor of Brands in Palatine. Jim, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'll see. And he joined us on our turnkey.proanswer.